Conflict is all around us and on every channel. What is the root cause of most of the conflict that you find yourself in? Now, I, I'm not going to deny um, the possibility that you're in conflict or you find yourself in conflict because someone did something. All right, it's, it's real. Sometimes people do things that really hurt our feelings. Sometimes uh, people do things that, that cause a rift between us. Uh, and people do annoying things every day, right, uh, in everyday life. So, so sometimes that happens. But I find that much of the conflict in which we find ourselves is because someone said something. Someone said something. In fact, how much of the conflict that you have been a part of would have been avoided uh, if someone had been more careful with their words? Uh, how much hurt and heartache would have that would you would not have countered? How fewer feelings would have gotten hurt? How, how many times have you seen wounds get deepened because someone was careless with their words? How many times were they your words? And, well, those are the only words you can really do anything about. Right? We, we can do a lot of damage with words. And we live in a world right now that it doesn't matter where we turn the TV on, right? There's this screaming on top of one another. That's just kind of the culture that we live in. And we learned when we were very young that sticks and stones are the only thing that break our bones. But when we get older, we learn that words can hurt you. They can break our hearts. And they can, they can break the binds that tie relationships together. And sometimes our words, we don't even understand why we're in conflict. Like, have you ever been in a conflict when you, when, and, and, and somebody says, you know, well, you said this, and you're like, I don't even remember saying that. Or I didn't mean it that way. Or, or I don't think that's exactly, I don't think that's exactly what I was trying to convey. Have you ever had a situation like that? Years ago, years ago, uh, at uh, one of the churches that I pastored, um, uh, we had a staff change that was happening. Our children's pastor was stepping away. She felt like it was time to, to step away from the ministry. And we had an assistant children's pastor who, I mean, she was just a super hard worker. And I felt like um, she could really, you know, I thought she might be the children's pastor. She might be a great candidate, but we certainly, at least for the next few months, needed her to step up her role, and, and I thought she was certainly capable. That She was very dedicated to the ministry, very dedicated to the church, and so we got together, and we met, and just kind of talked about like, okay, what did, what did you do versus what did she do, and let's try to figure out the roles, and uh, she kind of spelled out some things about kind of what she had done. And she was doing a lot of kind of the behind-the-scenes work in the ministry, a lot of administrative work. She was making all the slides and all the videos. She was doing, uh, you know, all the copies for teachers, you know, of all the lesson plans and stuff that all the different uh, small group leaders needed. And we were going to need her to take some of the little bit more upfront role and we had a really great volunteer group in our children's ministry and a lot of really highly capable high school students even. And so I said to her, I said, 
uh, I was like, okay, it, you know, it sounds like we've got some volunteers. I think some of those things are something that we can get uh, one of our high school students or teenagers to do because I think we need you to be up front more teaching the kids. Your preparation time is going to have to be, you know, she was a part-time employee, you know, is going to have to be in kind of getting, be the, the speaker on Sunday mornings to kids and all that. I left the meeting, I was like, I feel really good about where we're going. She can handle it at least for a few months, and, she, you know, she might prove herself over these few months. And they left our church. Because she heard me say what you've been doing a teenager could do. And, and, I, and, and, and I had multiple conversations after that, and I just said, that's not what I meant. I, that's, not, that's not what the message, you know, I, I tried to go back. I, I tried to try to fix things, but she couldn't unhear it. She felt undervalued, and I, well, I felt like an idiot. And they were hurt, and they left. Sometimes our words can just, uh, can just not quite come across the way we want them to, and my guess is you've got a story like that, and here's why this happens. People can't, people can't see your feelings. You're like, well, that's not how I really felt, but they, they can't see your feelings. People can't read your thoughts. Well, that's not what I was thinking when I said that, but they, they can't read your thoughts. People can't feel your motivations. Well, that's not what I meant. You said, they can't feel that. People can't interpret your intention. Well, that's not how I wanted it to come out. No, they can't interpret that. All of those things are invisible and unintangible. But people can 100% hear your words. They can 100% hear your words, 100% read your words. All they've got of your, are your words. And if our words come out the wrong way, or we say the wrong thing, or we use the wrong uh, tone, sometimes it's not even what you say, it's how you say it, right? I mean, you learned that like the first week of marriage. Uh-oh, I, uh I said that the wrong way. Sometimes it's just the tone. And if we say the wrong words at the wrong time or in the wrong way, listen, this is so important. Your words can actually conspire against your feelings, motivations, emotions, and intentions. They can actually conspire against the emotion or the feeling that you are trying to convey. So this is so important to get it right. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote pointedly about this. And it's so important because our words are about the only tool that we have to handle conflict, aren't they? I mean, if I would have asked you, like, how are you going to handle conflict without talking or writing a letter or sending a note? Uh, like our words, it is the only tool we have in the toolbox to try to, uh, to, try to handle conflict. I, I love James, okay, the brother of Jesus. Uh, uh, some pastors say, uh, and this might be true, that he is, he, he is 
the, the greatest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And let me explain this. How many of you have a brother? Okay. What would it take for you to come to the conclusion that your brother was the son of God? Just think about your brother right now. You're like, well, I'd have to go to his funeral. And then a three days later, he'd need to walk into my house. And then I might be convinced that he's the son of God. James, who grew up with Jesus, was convinced that his brother was the son of God because he saw it with his own two eyes. And I'm not sure if it was all the miracles, but that last one, when his brother resurrected from the dead, it changed his life. And the cool thing about this, the cool thing I love about this that we're going to read. And so when you're reading James, you need to think about this. We are getting an inside look into Jesus' family. When James is talking about conflict, where do you think he learned this? He learned how Jesus handled conflict in the family. When things got tense in the family, he learned how Jesus, he saw Jesus firsthand every day when they were growing up, and he figured out how Jesus handled conflict differently than everyone else. When he was ready to put Jesus in a headlock when they were teenagers, he saw how Jesus diffused the situation. When the family was around the dinner table and, and somebody said something a little curt, a little short, he saw how Jesus handled it differently. So this is so important for families. I mean, how many times has there been a conflict in your family because of what someone said or didn't say or how they said it? So I love this because when we read this, we're getting an inside look into the family of Jesus. It's found in John chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in verse 19. So if you got your Bibles, if you're there at home, uh, it's great to, to be uh, joining you. My name's Carter, if you're new here, and I'm the pastor here at Mount Top, and uh, we're going to study this together. If you don't have a Bible, take one at our, uh, in our bookshelves if you're here in the room, and uh, we'd love to give that to you. John chapter 1, verse 19. Just the very first little line. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. I mean, John, uh, James, chapter 1, sorry. My dear brother and sister. So we've got the brother of Jesus. This is how serious this is. The brother of Jesus telling you what I'm about to tell you, you need to take notes. If you're sitting there at home watching today, take notes. If you brought something to write down here today, take notes. This is that important. Jesus' brother is telling us to take notes. And the thing I love about it is it's three simple little details, simple little things, ideas about how to diffuse conflict. James says this, everyone should be quick to listen, number one, slow to speak, number two, and slow to become angry. So let's just break them down, one, two, three. What was the first one? Do you remember? Quick to listen. Quick to listen. We should listen first. Often the problem in conflict is, is one of the biggest problems is that we are quick to speak and slow to listen. 
right? We're the exact opposite. We're quick to speak and slow to listen. We scream, we shout, we speak rashly. We just try to get louder like all those video clips we saw. And then maybe I'll get heard. Or listen, you ever been in an argument and you're talking with somebody and you're already formulating your next line while they're talking? Come on. We're in church. You should tell the truth. Or you're just waiting for the moment to land the perfect zinger that's going to change everything. That one-liner, that's what we're doing. That we're, we formulate our argument while, but while they're even talking or we just think about landing the zinger. And James says if we want to get good at this, that if we at resolving conflict in a biblical way, then we need to learn how to be a good listener. So I think a couple of things will be helpful. They're very super practical that I'm continuing to learn and being a good listener. Tell me more. Tell me more. So somebody starts talking and there's a conflict and they're telling you. And oftentimes there's more than what they just said. So one, one really good thing to say is just like, okay, tell me more. Well, it all started, okay, there's more. Um, another thing that's helpful is to say, you know, help me understand. Like they, after they've told you more, help me understand um, how you came to that conclusion. Help me understand how that, you know, why that hurt your feelings. Help me understand uh, where, where you got to that. Help me understand. And then sometimes I will just, I will say, so what I hear you saying is, and I will repeat to them what they said to me. And sometimes they'll be like, well, no, that's not what I meant. I was like, well, that's what you said. So tell me then how you really, if that's not what you meant, tell me what you mean. And so it's just a process of just active listening. I want to be quick to listen. James says if we're going to be good at this, we have to be really, really good listeners. Go in, we have to be curious, curious that we don't know the solution to the problem. Oftentimes in conflict, people just want to be heard. So we have to be good listeners. Go in with an attitude that you're going to listen first because often the root of the conflict isn't really what the conflict is about. Often there is something else behind it. Have you ever found that out? That they're not really mad about the thing they say they're mad about? It's that that's connected to another thing? And if you are quick to speak instead of quick to listen, you'll end up having an argument about something that isn't really the argument. Wouldn't it be better to be like, I need to listen first. I need to make sure that the thing we're talking about is the thing that's really the conflict. Be quick to listen. And what's the second one? Slow to speak. You probably heard it said before, that's why the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth. We should listen about twice as much as we talk. Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Don't be ready to spout off something as soon as it comes to mind. Because words carry weight. When we are angry or when we are in conflict, 
We say something that we didn't mean or it doesn't come out the right way. And here's what I believe is so true. The higher you are in the organization, the heavier your words are. The higher you are in the organization, whether that's a family, an office, a school, a team, if you are a senior if you're a senior and you're on a sports team at your school, the, your words carry more weight on the team. If you are a coach or a teacher, your words carry more weight in the classroom or with the team. If you're an employee, your words, employer, your words carry more weight. If you're a manager of, of your department, your words carry more weight. If you are a parent, your words carry more weight. They're heavy. So think about what you want to say because you only get one way to say it right, and to say it right then. You can't go back in time and unsay it. Right? That's why James says, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. You don't want something to come out that you regret saying. And I, I want to just ask your permission here. Um, I want to take a little poetic license with the scriptures because I believe if James were writing this to us, you know, we don't, a lot of our conflict are the words we speak on this thing. And I think if James were writing this in 2022 for us, he would say, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to post. We should be slow to post on social media. Ask yourself, could I regret this tomorrow? Could I regret this next week? What would God think about this post? You know, it's interesting. This, uh, uh, this week, I was looking for something in our storage area, and I was going through boxes, and I found a photo album that was not with all our other photo albums. So I took photo album out, but before I put it on the shelf with all our other photo albums, I flipped through it. And uh, there were pictures of our grandparents in there who have gone on to be with the Lord. So, you know, I just took a moment to flat. You ever do that? You just go through an old photo album and you go through, you know, you just look at grandparents and great grandparents. You know, our grandchildren won't do that because we don't print pictures anymore. When we're dead and gone, they'll scroll. Maybe every year on your birthday, just to remember grandma or granddad. And they'll scroll through your Facebook. And they'll scroll through your Twitter. And they'll scroll through your Instagram because the internet is forever and Zuckerberg ain't taking it down. And will you be embarrassed at what your 12-year-old granddaughter reads? on your Facebook? Will she find that you were slow to post or had a real quick trigger? Will she find a lot of anger about politics and gas prices and your opinion on masks? Or will she be inspired, blessed, encouraged, Will her faith be built up? Because you're not printing pictures. 
You're saving them digitally on your account with your words forever. Slow to speak. Church, let's be slow, thoughtful to post. The world's watching, and so will your grandchildren one day. Third one, he said, slow to become angry. Don't let things get to you. He says, be slow. Cool the temperature down. Think about, James says, what you're thinking about. Are you angry because of something legitimate? Or, this is a problem, right? Or are you processing it over a past wound or experience? Sometimes the anger, sometimes it isn't even about them. We're processing it. You rarely make good decisions when you're angry, James says. I think some good questions to ask yourself, this is what I try to do when I start getting angry. Have I eaten? Have I slept? Have I exercised? Have I prayed? You ever find out, have you ever found that when you're angry, a lot of times you're just tired? When you're angry, you're just hungry. When you're angry, you, you know, you're just not feeling well, you haven't exercised. When you're angry, you just haven't spent time with Jesus. Oftentimes, it's that simple. He says, like, be slow. Be slow. And then this is why James tells us that this is, this is not helpful. And he goes on and he expounds on that last one, anger. James says this. Because human anger, and I love that he says this, because there is such a thing as godly, righteous anger. Right? We can be angry at injustice. God is angry. God has a holy anger sometimes. But James says that's, that's not the anger that gets us in trouble. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James says the anger doesn't not produce the righteousness that God wants for you and in you. He, James says that in the heat of anger in conflict, we are most likely to let our tongue loose and forget the word that is in us. James says anger clouds our judgment. It makes you do things you wish you hadn't done and say things you wish you hadn't said. You ever found that? I said that too quick. I said that in anger. I did that in anger. It doesn't produce good things. And James says, God, God desires something better for you, a word that is planted in you. A word, you got to get rid of this, this anger, James says. And, and I think that this can be a universal problem. But men, this seems to be a bigger deal in us. This seems to be a bigger epidemic in men. And I want to just tell you something. We can't be the men God created us to be if anger has a hold of our lives. You can't be the man of God wants you to be, the husband God wants you to be, the father God wants you to be, the boss God wants you to be. You cannot be the you God created you to be as long as anger is planted deep in you. Humbly, 
James says, except the word planted in you. We are meant to be different. And then James, in one of his most famous passages, says this, but it's in the context of about how to handle conflict. We read this verse a lot. You hear sermons on this passage a lot, but it's written in the context of this idea of speaking slowly, angering slowly, and quickly listening. It says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to that voice in you, to the Holy Spirit in you, to God's word planted in you. You got to do what it says. You got to do what it says. And it says that the fruit of the Spirit is not anger. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. You got to do that, James says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says, and this is like one of the funniest kind of like metaphors, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He's like, you're not very smart if you do that, James says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, this word planted in us and continues in it, then actually does it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. James says you can't just agree with Jesus. That's one of the problems that we've got in, in the world, in the church, is that we have a lot of Christians that agree with Jesus, but don't actually do what Jesus says. You can't just agree with Jesus that you should love everybody, like you're supposed to actually love everybody, your neighbors, your enemies. We have to do it. We follow the way of King Jesus because his way gives freedom. Don't you want to be free from anger and its consequences? Don't you want to resolve conflict instead of making it hotter and hotter? Don't you want reconciliation instead of restitution? Don't you want a better world? The world that God wants for you. We serve a Savior, James says, we can't forget, who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And Jesus, James says, if we'll just follow that way, you'll be blessed. It's hard it's hard. It's hard to be quick to listen. It's hard to not say what's on your mind. It's hard to be slow and bite your tongue. James says, if you'll do it, you'll be blessed. There's a great book on, uh, on having tough, conflicted conversations called Crucial Conversations. Anybody read that book, Crucial Conversations? Really good book on having conversations. And, and one of the things it says in there that, that just struck me is this. Going in to any crucial conversation, ask yourself what you really want. Hey, parents, <clears throat> when we have crucial conversations with our children, what if we ask ourselves, what, going into this conversation, what do I really want? In fact, maybe this is a better question to ask about any kind of conflict that we have. Do I want to make a point or make a difference? Have you found that you probably can't do both? 
You probably can't do both. If you want to make a point, say what you want, speak what's on your mind, speak quickly, speak brash, come out with guns blazing in the conversation. You might win. You'll probably make a point. But you probably won't make a difference. If you want to make a difference, if you want to actually accomplish something, if you want to point toward Jesus, we should probably be quick to listen and to speak slowly. And James closes this out with why this matters so much, why it is so critical in, in doing the word in us. And this, this verse, I hope it impacts you the way it impacts me because it takes my breath away. This is what James says. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceive themselves if they think they're religious. And their religion <clears throat> is worthless. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, what James says is that our faith is worthless if we let our tongues get out of sorts. If we only keep our cool when the temperature's cool, then what good is it if we can't keep our cool when the temperature's hot? If we are just like the rest of the world and all those video clips and we're screaming over top just like the rest of the world, then why even have this word planted in us? The, the what counts is that we would find our faith when it counts. The, the word worthless in the Greek, is mateos, and it just means devoid of force, devoid of truth, devoid of purpose. And I want to tell you something. Whether it's on this thing, or whether it's around the Thanksgiving table, I see a world where the Christians are just fighting each other and just arguing and just screaming and, and seeing if they can be louder than the other Christians with, with, that they disagree with about some Christian doctrine. And you know what I think? I think the world sees that. They have a religion. They have a faith that is devoid of force, devoid of truth, devoid of purpose. I think the world looks at the church when we argue like that and go, why would I want that? James says it basically this way. The wrong words send the wrong message about the message in us. The stakes, James says, are out of this world. They're eternal. And the wrong words, we think, ah, oh, you know, it's just words. Here, no, 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 no. If we don't keep a tight ring on our tongue, James says, it's going to send the wrong message about the message in us. But, the opposite is true too. The right words send the right message about the message in us. Proverbs said a word rightly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's perfect. It's just, it's a blessing. 
I want to be a blessing in how I talk to people. I want, I want conflicts. I want conflicts with outsiders to turn into conversions because how I handle my words. I want the church to be different. If we're going to handle conflict biblically in this world, the right way, it's, it's pretty easy. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. And I want to just tell you, you probably won't get to land that zinger. And you might not come away having made a point. But friends, we might just make a difference. And they might find in us a faith, a religion, a Jesus who isn't worthless. A faith that is worth it. And I think he is. Heavenly Father. It's easy for us, God, to, uh, it's easy for us to want to make a point in our world. I think about, God, I think about all the zingers you could have landed from the cross because you were right and the world was wrong. Help us to remember that winning in the kingdom looks a lot more like a cross than a crown. Help us to, to look like you, our Father, who is so slow to become angry at our sin and so quick to listen to the cries of our heart. Help us to look like our Father. Lord, we have no point to make in this world. We just want to make a difference for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song called Holy Spirit. It's been a long time since we've done it. It's a song we typically sing um, about kind of inviting God into our worship, into our worship space. Um, it's got this line in it that says, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And really, that's, I believe, James's message, this word that's planted into us. And I just wonder if we sing this today, if you would be praying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my conflict. You're welcome in my crucial conversations. You got an anger problem? Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my anger that I'm dealing with. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place, my heart. Come flood it. Let's stand. Let's sing. And if you need to pray, the front is open.